Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Peninsula Church of Christ, located at 502 Woodland Road in Hampton, Virginia. We are so glad that you have chosen this time to study the Word of God, and it is our prayer that this sermon will be a blessing to your soul. You can find more information about the congregation, including our service times and full contact information, online at www.peninsulacofc.org. That is P-E-N-I-N-S-U-L-A-C-O-F-C dot org. If the sermon prompts questions in your mind, please reach out to us. Keep listening after the sermon for more information. And now, a sermon from the Peninsula Church of Christ. Good morning. Do me a favor, if you will, this morning, and uh, let's do a little time travel. My daughter has a book that uh, you put on this helmet, you do all these things. It's part of her history lesson. It's about a kid basically traveling to events of the past. But I want you to walk with me back to about AD 35 to the city of Jerusalem. The church is established. You walk through the streets, you see Christians and you see the Jews and you see, of course, the Roman soldiers, the garrison that's there. You behold all these things, but there's only this one group called Christians. That, that, that's it. Now, we call them Christians. I understand that they haven't yet been named that, right? you got to go over to Acts 11. They were called Christians first in Antioch. But for our perspective, we're only going to see one group of Christians. It's one group that's known as the disciples of Christ, the followers of the way, those who preach this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And you're going to find amongst the Jews those who despise them. You're going to find amongst the Jews those who tolerate them. And you're going to find amongst the Jews those who have actually converted who have obeyed what we would say is the gospel, who have been baptized for the remission of their sins. But there's only going to be that one group. There's not going to be the church here and the church of whatever there and the church by this name here. It's just going to be this one group of disciples. Well, that's unique, isn't it, compared to our experience. Fast forward and, and go to Ephesus. About 20 years later, 25, give or take a little bit. We don't have the exact date that the church was established here, but, but just rough estimates. And, and you see the temples, don't you? Especially Diana. Oh, don't, don't, don't neglect that one. But there's a temple to this God, and there's a temple to that God. And you got, walk into the homes of a few of the Ephesians, and, and you'll see their little deities that are portrayed for them there, especially the ones of Roman heritage. And, and there's, there's all of these gods but there's this group there that really kind of started around the synagogue and other places that, that, that call themselves Christians. And, and some of them are, are made up of those who came out of the worship of Diana and the other gods. Some of them were Jews who, who were of Israelite heritage. And, and yet there, there's just this one church. Again, you, you don't see a bunch of different churches teaching different things, doing different things, all with their own way. You just see a simple, shared belief in Christ and in following his word as is being revealed and written. And by this point, some of the books are starting to be written of the New Testament, right? So, so they're starting to get some of the, the written knowledge, but at the same time, they're still relying heavily on prophets. Well, well, fast forward from that another 40 or so years, and, and you're at the end of the first century. There's only one apostle still alive, and his name is John. 
by this point, the Romans have, have kind of figured out that Christianity is distinct from Judaism. And so they're treating it distinctly. And yet it's still thriving in many places. And yet it's still being spread. And the New Testament, well, it's being finished up. By this point, most of the books are, are written, save perhaps a couple at the hand of John. Perhaps a few of his latter epistles, 2nd and 3rd John, maybe at this point, haven't quite been completed yet. But otherwise, all the other New Testament books are, are written. You even have, by this point, Revelation having been written. A lot has changed. Christianity is much bigger now than it used to be. And yet, still, it doesn't matter whether you're in Rome or you're in Ephesus or you're down in Jerusalem or, or you're down in Alexandria or, or even east of, of all of that, out toward the edges of what have, has been the Roman Empire, they're still just this singular group. And when they travel, they help each other. And when they're persecuted, they stand by each other. And by and large, it's just this single group. They're, they're still just the church. It might be the church at Ephesus. It might be the church at Rome. It might be the church at Corinth, but they're still the church. In fact, John writes that way, doesn't he? When he writes in Revelation 2 and 3, the words of Jesus to the seven churches of Asia, they're all just the church, aren't they? They're just brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, some aren't doing what they ought to do, which, hey, that's to be expected, isn't it? It's to be expected that we're not always going to obey what, what we say we believe. That, that's to be expected. But they're still just the church. They haven't really divided themselves up too much yet into all these different groups and everything. It's, it's starting to happen a little bit. It's starting to happen on the fringes. That's some of why First John gets written, isn't it? You're starting to see some, some divisions in, in the church. But you fast forward another couple hundred years, and now you're really into the infancy of Catholicism. By, by the time the, the fourth century rolls around, you're starting, and by the way, fourth century, 300s, right? You're starting to see the, the, the roots of Catholicism. You, you could trace it back earlier, but it's becoming more poignant at this moment in time. And, Christianity is starting to morph, and, and they're starting to become all these sects and divisions and, and such, and yet that's going to continue somewhat steady. Because once Catholicism comes on the scene, it kind of rules the roost. There are little upstarts and little groups here and there that don't quite agree with them, but, but for really the next thousand years, that's going to be quote-unquote most of what's known as Christianity. But then things start to change, don't they? with the Reformation, as it's historically called. Names like Martin Luther, John Calvin. These are names people tend to be familiar with. They start teaching that Catholicism has to be reformed, and the Pope doesn't like it, and there's a fight, and, and Protestantism grows out of that. You, you've heard of Protestantism, haven't you? And then that spreads, and then comes to America, and you know, so you've got Catholicism, you've got kind of the Eastern Orthodox Church for all intents and purposes, you've got Protestantism. Those are pretty much the main groups. And out of Protestantism grows, well, a whole bunch of different folks, right? Teaching a lot of different things. You've got the Lutherans that'll grow up out of that. You've got the Methodists that'll come up out of that. You've got the Presbyterians. You've got the Baptists. All these groups will, will come out of that. All of them call themselves Christians, and yet, yet they, 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 there's a lot of difference between them. 
Whereas the Methodists practiced infant baptism and believe that, that that is perfectly acceptable, here come the Anabaptists, later we'll just know them as the Baptists, who are saying, uh uh-uh, uh, you don't baptize babies. You have to baptize adults. That, that's the only way you can do it. And the Presbyterians are like, well, yeah, but the church needs to be structured differently than you guys are doing it. Y'all think congregations are autonomous if you're looking at the Baptists or different if you're looking at the Methodists. There's this method to it. But, but Presbyterians, we're, we're worried about the Presbytery. And oh, that's a whole different thing, right? And then all that spills over into the colonies and into the U.S., doesn't it, as we know it now. And eventually in the United States, there's another movement that is framed as the Restoration Movement. And one of the key thoughts of that movement was, what has happened? Is that a fair, fair statement? You've got people asking, what has happened? Because if, if we go back to A.D. 35 in Jerusalem... There's just the church. And they're all living the same way and they're all preaching the same thing. And there's not all of this. What would happen? Well, they come to a conclusion. A conclusion that different groups throughout the years had been coming to on their own before this big movement. Folks have left the Bible behind. If people would just be Christians by the Scripture, that's all God wants. God doesn't want Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. He doesn't want these things. He just wants Christians. Churches, congregations of people who have obeyed the gospel, who are living by that gospel, and who are preaching that gospel. That's fundamentally all he wants. People that bear the name of his son. People that bear his name, the church of God, the church of Christ, the church. A reflection of the fact that we've been assembled together out of the world by, by God himself when we obey the gospel. And that, my friends, is what we want to talk about this morning. Under the sermon title, you have it there in the bulletin, a broken body, question mark? You know, a lot of people look at Christianity as it's so-called in the world. And, and all they see is fracturing. And, and you can understand why. When all these groups claim to be following Christ and yet we're all teaching and doing different things, you understand how that confuse some people, can't you? I understand how, how that would mix some people up. And it, it, it's probably even more confusing when, when you hear these folks say, well, there's only certain core doctrines you have to believe. As long, we can disagree on everything else, but as long as we agree on the core doctrines, we're okay. Start saying, well, hold on, wait. So you can disagree on pretty much everything in the Bible except certain core things? How does that make sense? There's no real unity in that. That's not oneness. That's brokenness. Imagine if an order went out from the Pentagon to every Air Force base throughout the world. And imagine if every single base's leadership interpreted that order differently from the rest. How well would, would that work? Would that go over 
too great? I mean, honestly, we know how that would work, don't we? That, that could happen in a business. Imagine in Starbucks, man. Starbucks is everywhere, isn't it? Imagine if Starbucks kind of gave a corporate order that went out to all of their thousands upon thousands of stores. And yet every store had their own interpretation of it. Did it differently. So say they're introducing a new drink. And this store says, we're going to make it this way. This store is going to make it that way. So, so maybe you go to the store down here at the Riverdale Shopping Center. I know they're changing the name of it, but I still think of it as Riverdale. And uh, you, you order the drink there and make, make it a certain way. You're like, man, I like this thing. It's pretty good. Too much sugar, a ton of caffeine, but, but it's pretty good. The next day, you happen to be closer to the Starbucks up on J. Clyde, the old bank. And you go in there to order the drink. And you're like, wow, this tastes entirely different. You'd be confused, wouldn't you? Say, well, I thought this was supposed to be the same thing. You didn't have that problem at 8035. With the church. It didn't exist. Because all of the divisions that, that we see that confuse people, this idea of unity and diversity, it didn't exist in 8035. It didn't exist in 80, 50, and 55. And the places where the division started to grow up, the apostle said, no, 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 no. This is one body, one church, one Christ. My friends, the Lord's body isn't broken. It's still one. The reality is the world's created a whole lot of things that aren't the Lord's body. Let's talk this morning, beginning with this idea of a single body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open there. And, and if you will, read, read the text that was read for us in the scripture reading this morning. Read it with me again. Chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, he says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now, Paul is talking to the church, and he's talking about individuals here. He says the, the body is not one member, but many. He's talking about the individual Christians. He says, for we have all been baptized into one body. We know what he's talking about, don't we? He's talking about individuals. This is like John 15, when Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. There's this unfortunate thing that's happened with 1 Corinthians 12 and John 15 and other texts like it. Folks have tried to justify division by saying, well, the members or, or well, the, the branches on the vine, that, that relates ultimately to different faith groups that would grow out of Christ. The different denominations and church. That's not at all what he's talking about. He says, for as many as have been baptized into Christ. When was the last time that you saw a church baptized? I'm, I'm waiting. Anybody? You ever seen the Methodists get a pool big enough to baptize one of their buildings in? That'd be quite a sight. If you ever done somebody trying to do something like that, let me know. I want to come watch it with you. But that's, it doesn't happen, does it? We, we understand what Paul's talking about. He's talking about individual members making up the one body. There's only one body, and that, that one body is made up of the individual members. Individual members who have all been baptized into that one body. There's only one, though, isn't there? There's only one body. 
There's only one church. And by the way, there's only one way into that church here, isn't it? You're baptized into that one body. So Paul is writing to a church. That, listen, these brethren, they're all at each other's throat, aren't they? Over a variety of issues. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the reason he's making this point is he's, a, he's addressing them misusing the spiritual gifts and how they're placing value on one member above another and saying, well, I have this gift, so hey, look at me, I'm better than you. And he says, no, 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 no. He says the body is one with many members. Some have this gift, some have that gift, some have this ability, some have that ability. But listen, they're all needed in the body. He's arguing against division and for oneness. One body. You're baptized into that one body. You're all part of that one body as members individually. Now, Paul will also deal with this when he talks to the church at Ephesus, won't he? If you turn to the book of Ephesians, you, you can see Paul talk about this body. And I, lest we confuse ourselves and misunderstand that the body is the church, that's who Paul's talking to at Corinth, isn't he? He says, so the church is at Corinth. You can read it right in the first chapter of the book. But, but lest we, we get confused and miss it, look at Ephesians chapter 1. And some of this is familiar to some of you, some of it may not be, so just, just stick with me. But Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, he says, And he put all things under his feet, the his there is Christ, if you look at the context, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So there's this idea. Of Jesus, he's the head over the body. The body is his church. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, you've all been baptized into one body. You've all been baptized into his church over which he's head. That's what he's talking about. There's only one. And that makes sense, doesn't it, from the vantage point of the body. I have one head and one body. He's using an image that is absolutely, completely in line with our understanding. It's simple, really, isn't it? We try to complicate it, but it's really simple. All of me is interconnected. I got distracted yesterday. I don't remember why. What distracted me? I was talking to Patricia and walking along. Obviously, I couldn't talk and walk because my, my left little toe found the door jam. And I often say, it will remind you it is there. And Patricia turned around because I was there. Oh, oh. She's like, what'd you do? So I just, I just kicked the door down, just walked right into it. Just wasn't paying a lick of attention. There's no doubt that's connected to the rest of my body, isn't it? That, that I am one, intertwined together as one. That's how God created us, isn't it? And, and that's a blessing. And, and there's a beauty to, to the human body as it's created. And yet, Paul uses this flesh and blood that we're so familiar with to give us an image that we can't miss. That Christ is the head, we're the body. Many members, but one body. Now Ephesians 4 goes on and, and, and just emphasizes that that much more, doesn't it? In the context of that great discussion on unity in Ephesians 4, he says there is, verse 4, one body and one spirit. So if you believe there's more than one body, you got to believe there's more than one Holy Spirit. Is that right? But you, you have to believe, not just there's more than one Holy Spirit, but, but keep reading. There's one body and one spirit, just you recall, and one hope of your cause. There's more than one hope. So there's heaven, and then there's obviously a different heaven, maybe, right? 
One Lord? Oh, wait. Must be more than one Jesus. One faith? Okay. Just different ways to obey the gospel. One baptism? Oh, okay, there must be more baptism. One God? Oh, wait, hold on. Do we really want to say it's more than one God? I guess we have to. Who's above all? Through all and anyone. Okay. That's what we have to say if we believe there's more than one body, right? I mean, that's, that's the argument we have to make. If, we have, if we're going to say there's more than one body and that unity in the body doesn't matter, we have to argue that unity in these things don't matter. There can be more than one Lord, more than one faith, more than one baptism, more than one Father, more than one Spirit. That, that these ones don't matter. And yet Paul says there is one. And he calls for unity, doesn't he? Ephesians 4 at verse 1, the whole context in which he's giving this is, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which, with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body. And that body needs to be at peace. Peace doesn't exist when everybody sees things differently, does it? Does peace exist when this one over here says you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins and, and this one over here says baptism isn't really essential to salvation? Can peace exist? It's an impossibility, isn't it? Because those two positions can't possibly be harmonized with each other. Which is why those who are secular or atheists or others can look at quote-unquote Christianity and say, y'all are just crazy. Because we claim to be one and yet we constantly look at each other in ways that can't be reconciled. There's one body. One faith. One spirit. One Lord. One baptism. One church over which Jesus is head. That's the oneness that we are talking about. A single body of which everyone is part. And that's what you see in the New Testament. And if you were able to walk back to 8035 or 8050 and walk in these cities, that's the only thing you would see is one church. That's it. And when division started to creep in, you would have apostles writing or preachers preaching and saying, y'all got to stop this. In fact, you don't believe me? Well, let's go to the next point. Not only do we see a single body in the New Testament, but we see a single mind in the New Testament. You see, the church was one with one in Christ with one instruction, the gospel of Christ, the word of God. That, that's it, a single mind, a single body and a single mind. You still in 1 Corinthians or maybe you're in Ephesians? Flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, you go to verse 10, and I, I mentioned earlier the church was divided over many things. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul was dealing with spiritual gifts, but the division went deeper than just over spiritual gifts, didn't it? They, they, they were divided along the lines of who taught them and preached to them and baptized them. Verse 10, Paul writes this. He says, For the he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, speak the same thing, no division, perfectly joined together, same mind, same judgment. No one can look at the state of Christianity as it's referred to today and with a straight face say it meets the qualification of what's here in verse 10 of chapter 1 of the book of 1 Corinthians. No one can do that. It is an absolute impossibility. So what does Paul call these people to? Well, well, let me first show you what they're doing. Keep reading. 
For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. They're arguing. They're fighting. They're backbiting. Man, who needs, who needs the pagans to destroy the church? You'll do it yourself. Contentions among you. Well, what do these contentions look like? Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Man, listen, you've got to appreciate something about this apostle. He gets right to the point, doesn't he? He says, you're calling yourself all these names. None of these people died for you. None of these people were you baptized into. It was all about Christ. He died for you. You were baptized into him. It's his gospel. What are you doing? Well, they're, they're dividing into sects. Well, I'm Paul's church, and I'm Cephas's church, and I'm Apollos' church. Sound familiar? He said, brethren, be of the same mind, be of the same judgment. Be perfectly joined together as one. You're dividing up into these groups exactly what we see in our society around us. And he's calling everyone to the one body, one gospel faith that Jesus died for. That's what he is doing. Because there's only one mind that the church is supposed to have. A single body, a single mind. And that single mind is established in the gospel that he was preaching to them. You're there in 1 Corinthians 1? Just, just look to chapter 2 here. And begin in verse 13 with me. These things we also speak. He's talking about the gospel that he's been preaching. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. He says, what, what we've given you isn't the wisdom of men. Man, if you want the wisdom of men, that's easy to find, isn't it? Especially in, in today's age, it was easy enough to find men. You go down to the marketplace, the public square, and there's always somebody telling you about whatever idea that they had. It was common in the ancient world. And today, we call it Google. <laughs> you want to find out what somebody's thinking? Just, just Google it, right? And, and you can find what, what folks are thinking. There's bound to be at least a million videos on YouTube. You'll never be able to watch them all, but you'll get the theme very quickly. Paul says, but, but what I have brought to you, what I have taught you, it's the words that the Holy Spirit teaches. Now, that's in fulfillment of what Jesus himself promised. Have you read John chapters 13 and 14 and 15 and 16? The, the last hours of Jesus with his disciples, the ones who would be the apostles, and what he told them was going to happen. He told them the Spirit was going to come and guide them in all truth, and that they were going to go out preaching that truth. He told them that's exactly what would happen. And Paul said, that's what I'm doing. Exactly what Jesus said would happen. That's what I'm doing. Now, he's one born out of due season, but he's still an apostle with the same message, same ministry that the other 12 had. But keep reading. He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. This is verse 14 of chapter 2. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Now, I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to you the words of the Spirit. I'm preaching to you the mind of Christ. But Paul already mentioned mind one other time, didn't he? That we've looked at this morning. Back, back in chapter 1, the same text, we said, be of the same mind. 
What mind am I preaching? I'm preaching Christ's mind to you. What does he want us to be of the same mind concerning? Christ. He wants us all to have the same mind, the mind of Christ. He wants us to believe and think as Christ taught and thought. That's what he's calling them to. Now, now keep reading though. Verse 1 of chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. He says, I, I haven't been able to give you everything I'd like to. But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you weren't able to receive it. Even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Man, we need to hear that. Where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, even within the body of Christ, those who claim to preach and teach nothing but the word of Christ, even in this day, I'm not talking about those in these denominations who claim Christ but won't wear the name of Christ. I'm not talking about them right now. I'm talking about the body of Christ itself in the church of Christ. This is happening just as soon, just as well. No wonder folks look at us and think of us as just another denomination. When even within the body, this kind of thing is happening. But this congregation needs to be amongst those who don't let it happen. There doesn't need to be envy and strife and divisions because where those things are, that represents carnality and not spirituality. That represents us digging that old man back up out of the grave that we supposedly left dead and buried when we obeyed the gospel and putting him back on again. Because that's a man of sin. The carnal man is a man that's going to be a man of sin. But the spiritual man is going to be a man of faith and righteousness and holiness, sanctification, renewing of the mind. Things we're talking about this morning in Bible class. But, but read verse 4 with me, Paul, here. He says, for when one says, I am of Paul, or another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? If we look out at the world and, and all these people claim to be part of the body of Christ but teach all these different things, if we were to look at it the way that Paul looked at it, inspired of God, we'd have to look at it and say, are, are they not carnal? We'd have to look at our brothers and sisters in, in the body who are dividing it and teaching things that aren't in the Scripture, that are not matters of spirit, but, but follow after the wisdom of man. We'd have to look at them and say, say are you not carnal-minded? You want the things of men and not the things of God. That's what Paul's point to the church of Corinth is. By dividing like this, you are acting like mere men and not like the saints of God. Because the body of Christ is to be a single body with a single mind. That is the mind of Christ. That's what he wants them to have. And they can't have it. Because they're acting like the rest of the world was acting. Dividing into all these schools of thought. And that's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is one body. A single body with a single mind. The mind of Christ. And isn't that what our Lord prayed for? Was a single body with a single mind? Go back to John 17 with me for a moment. I know many of us know this text. And some of you could probably quote it. But I'm one of those people that always enjoys reading it again. John chapter 17. 20 and 21. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone. Talking about his apostles in particular. I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. <laughs> How did you believe on him? Didn't you believe on him through this word? The written word that came through those men 
that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity presents to the world a picture of Christ that is believable. When they see the church with a, as a single body, with a single mind, then they can believe that Christ was sent into the world. But when they see a group of people completely divided, calling themselves Christians, that is a testimony against Christ. That's blasphemy against them by all accounts. Which is why we preach and teach exactly what we've been saying this morning that the New Testament calls us to a single body with a single mind. And anything other than that is insufficient. Anything other than that is carnality. Anything other than that is not Christianity. Biblically defined. It's not because we think we're all so special. It's not because we think we're always all right. It's because we know what the scripture calls us to be and to believe and to do. But let me finish with one more point, if you will. I know the World Cup game is on. Y'all are going to have to wait a little bit. A single body, a single mind, a single baptism. Do you remember what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? In verses 12 through 14, specifically verse 13, that we're all baptized into one body. The only way into the body is to be baptized into it. Now, the New Testament word for baptism, as we've talked about in class, but maybe you weren't there, it is a word that means immersion. There's no way around it. That is what the word means. And every New Testament example of baptism is a baptism of immersion. Look at John's baptism. Look at John baptizing Jesus. Look at the baptism of the New Testament throughout the book of Acts. Every single time it is a baptism of immersion. One great example of it is in Acts 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip and the eunuch go down into the water and he baptizes him. John was baptizing where he was near Bethsaida because there was much water there. That's a necessity with immersion. You see the New Testament church in the early years, they, they recognize that. You don't even historically see the concept of sprinkling entering the consciousness of those who would consider themselves at all Christians until well, well, well after all the apostles are long, dead, buried, and rotted away. Baptized into the body. Now, where do we see that actually happening? If the body's the church, then there's only one way into the church, only one way to buy that, that's to be baptized into it. And by the way, Christ is the head, which is why Galatians 3.27 says we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into the body, baptized into the church, baptized into Christ. Now, where do we see that? We see it right away at the beginning of the church, don't we, in Acts chapter 2. We see it right away when the doors of the kingdom are open. Turn with me over there to Acts 2. Peter and the others, they preach what we sometimes refer to as the first gospel sermon. That might be a bit of a misnomer. Maybe we should rephrase that. The first gospel sermon, sermon after Christ's ascension. <laughs> maybe maybe that would be the better way to put it. They preach his sermon and 
many of the Jews are, are pierced to the heart, aren't they? Say, say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answers them. After having declared that Jesus is the Christ, and the men ask, what should they do? Verse 38, he tells them, repent and be baptized. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall or will call. Now, he didn't stop there, though, did he? Verse 40 says, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. He says, You need to respond. He was offering what we sometimes call the invitation. Except his invitation needs to be lengthier, right? So he preached the whole sermon, and then he gave a second sermon. Y'all think I could get away with that? Some of you are like, No, nah, you already preached two full sermons. Probably right. He preaches baptism. He tells them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He says you need to be baptized to have your sins remitted. Have them taken away. And then he keeps preaching to them and saying, you've got to be saved from this generation. Verse 41, this is what we read. Then those who gladly received his word, you see the preaching of one gospel leads to a singular response, were baptized. They were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Well, that's an interesting phrase. Added to them. What in the world is he talking about? Just skip on down to verse 47. You don't have to read everything in between. You can. It's a great text. But just skip on down to verse 47. And the Lord added to the church day, daily those who were being saved. Hold on, wait. If you repent and are baptized, then your sins are remitted. That's salvation. Nearly 3,000 souls that day did just that. And they were added to them. What they added to the church? See, there's only one way into the church, into the body, into Christ, and that is to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So if you hear the gospel message, you believe him to be the son of God, if you'll confess his name to repent and be immersed, then you too can be part of the church. And by the way, Ephesians 4, 5, there's only one baptism. It's only one. It's the baptism into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If that's not the baptism that you have experienced in your life, you haven't experienced the one baptism in the New Testament. If somebody told you, oh, you just have to be baptized because it's what God wants you to do, that's not the baptism in the New Testament. Somebody tells you, well, you need to be baptized because that's what will, will allow you to join our church. You're already saved, but now, now you just need to do this to confirm your salvation. That, that's not the baptism in the New Testament. Baptism in the New Testament is a baptism unto salvation, not because of salvation. Those aren't the same thing. And the one time you see a, somebody in the New Testament having been baptized into a baptism that wasn't the baptism into Christ for the remission of sins in Acts chapter 19, they're told to get back in that water. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's only one way into that body, which is baptism for the remission of your sins. And by the way, that keeps being preached. Read through the book of Acts and see if that's not the case. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about the Jews in Jerusalem, the Samaritans in Samaria, or the Gentiles. They're all told the same thing. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10. They are all told the exact same thing. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter when. So when we look at the New Testament, what do we see? We see a single body. A single body. We see a single mind. And we see a single baptism. That's what we see. 
a single body, a single mind, a single baptism. Now, that's not what we see around us. If we were to take what we see around us in the world and, and call that Christianity, we'd have to conclude that the body of Christ is all broken up in a bunch of pieces. And that must be okay with them. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that there are going to be a multitude of churches, each doing their own thing, each doing it their own way. And as long as they all at least accept that Jesus is Christ, they're all right. It's not what it teaches. It teaches there's to be a single body of a single mind, the mind of Christ, and there's a single baptism into that body. A baptism for the remission of sins. My friends, we invite you to become part of that church today. That church can be known by many names. One of the names given for it is the Church of Christ. In Romans 16, verse 16, the churches of Christ salute you. That's why we bear that name on our sign. It, it's, it's not a title. Rather, it, it's a mark of ownership. It's Christ's church. We invite you to become part of that church. Become part of his kingdom. Become part of the body of Christ. Christ's body, it's actually not broken. It's still one. And all who submit themselves to that one baptism and live faithfully thereafter. Y'all know that's required, don't you? That wasn't the point of the sermon today, but but don't leave that one out. We can look at texts like Revelation 2.10 or Romans 12, 1 and 2. We discussed in Bible class this morning to understand that's the case. But Christ's church is still one because all those to this day who are baptized into him for the remission of their sins are added to that one body. And that's what we invite you to be part of this morning. And to my brothers and sisters, it's our job to maintain the unity of the body. To remember that we are part of a single body, that we are to have a single mind. The scripture is the scripture. The gospel is the gospel. It's not changing. And we ought not either. We need to just keep preaching and teaching the simple word of Christ. Keep living it. And that's pleasing to him as the head of the body. But if you haven't been living that way, then this morning, why don't you do something about it? You know, there's a warning in John 15 about those who don't bear fruit. Those branches that don't bear that God is going to prune them out. My friend, you might have been baptized in the church. You might be a branch on that vine. But if you're not bearing fruit, the Lord's going to cut you out. We've got to remember that. That being part of the body bears responsibility to contribute in the body. The sermon is yours. The invitation is offered. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, my friend, you need to do that today. You need to be baptized because there is no other way to enter into the kingdom and to be with our Lord for eternity. If you need to come, please do so as we stand and sing the song that our brother selected. We hope that the sermon challenged you and encouraged you in your walk with God. Now that you have listened, we invite you to join us for Bible class on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. or for worship at 10.30 a.m. Further service times can be found on our website. If you would like to study the Bible further, have questions, or just want to send in a prayer request, please call us at 757-848-1120. 
email us at info, I-N-F-O, at PeninsulaCofc.org or fill out the contact form on our website at PeninsulaCofc.org. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe and rate us in iTunes or on your favorite podcast player to keep up with future sermons. May God bless you.